and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. In our final episode before Election Day, we're sitting down with Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon. Now, she lives in Delaware County, but has been deep in the trenches of GOTV organizing in Montgomery County and also the city of Philadelphia. Listeners will remember that she was elected in 2018. Also in recent years, and we've profiled this in past episodes, the county's changed from solid red to deep blue. I'm excited to get the Congresswoman's unique perspective in these final few hours of this historic campaign cycle. Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon, welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Well, thanks for the work you've been doing in the trenches of these final few hours of this historic campaign and you know, over some pretty historic months and years in Washington, D.C. under the Capitol Dome. So maybe we could take listeners back to this period, you know, the eve of the 2018 election and you know, what was going through your mind? What were you hearing at the doors? And we'll plunge our discussion from there. Sure. I mean, in in some ways, the issues were pretty similar about the function of our constitutional government and everybody's role in it. Uh, running in 2018, Trump was president and had demonstrated some pretty concerning tendencies with respect to talking up uh, white nationalists in Charlottesburg, Charlottesville and attacking the press and attacking our courts and sort of running roughshod over a lot of the guardrails of our democracy. So was hearing a lot about that in 2018. And unfortunately, here we are in 2022, and some of the worst fears about what he could do to our country have come true. And although he is out of office, Trumpism is still very much a force, particularly here in Pennsylvania, where we remain, you know, kind of right at the center of this vortex of, of swirling political craziness. Well, it certainly seems that this is a jump ball, that, that this Senate race and some of your colleagues, uh, like Congressman Cartwright, Congresswoman Wilds, I mean, it could come down to literally hundreds of votes, mm-hmm. a Senate race, uh, less than a point. Um, what, what, what do you attribute this kind of persistent, nagging purple nature of Pennsylvania politics? Pennsylvania politics has always been somewhat centrist. I don't think what we're seeing now is centrist politics. I think it's that we have one party, the Republican Party, that's really lost its way. And instead of having leaders that stood up for the country, they've knuckled under to a very extremist view of the world and, you know, kind of a political demagogue who is willing to deny reality in order to get his own way. And we have people here in Pennsylvania, like the candidate for governor, who are supporting that, and other people like the Republican candidate for the Senate, who are willing to tap dance around it if it's going to get them into office. Um, But they aren't going to come out and condemn it. And that's why it's such a dangerous place that we're in. So anecdotally, uh, I mean, you you just have your finger on the pulse infinitely better than I ever will, Congresswoman. The, <laughs> it seems like Delaware County, your home county, uh, has just changed so much over the last decade. And uh, the regular listeners of the show and Pennsylvania politicos will know that, but maybe you can 
speak to that because we just continue to have listeners from all over the country and <laughs> Europe and elsewhere. But also, you know, I just hear anecdotally registered Republicans and even Republicans of prominence in places like Delaware County that have thrown up their hands and they changed their registration and they don't mm-hmm. even know who they're going to vote for. They're probably going to write in their spouse. <laughs> well, some of the spouses are, are probably pretty competent and would do a better job than some of the candidates on the ballot. Yeah, it has been a fascinating time. I mean, I moved to Delaware County 27, 28 years ago. And what we heard at the time was that if you wanted your trash picked up, you had to register as a Republican. You know, that's kind of the watchword. I know friends whose kids couldn't get jobs at the municipal summer camps unless the parents were registered as Republicans. So it was an old school political machine that lasted well beyond many others, you know, kind of shame Tammany Hall in some respects, but, you know, delivering for the people who were part of it and and squeezing out other folks often. And that political machine here in Delaware County provided a pipeline to the state Republican machine. So you had, you know, folks like Dominic Pelleggi, who got his start in the Chester area and became head of the Senate, I think, before he left to become a judge. So um, there was this steady pipeline of Republicans coming through Delaware County, really locking down the government here and then moving on to statewide office as well. What we saw over time is what we've seen across the country is, you know, Democrats in the cities moving into the suburbs, having a very, you know, sort of moderate Republicans and and Democrats living together in the suburbs. But because of gerrymandering and because of this really well-oiled machine in this county, it stayed Republican here much longer. And people stayed registered Republican because it was in their best interest to do so. You know, many of the local organizations, the nonprofits and the things that are active in the community, people were registered Republicans because that's what it took to be part of the system that was helping the whole community. So what we saw was the the voter registration edge began to turn. Now, I've lived in the same house for 27, 28 years, but had been in three different congressional districts because of gerrymandering. So it was the old seven, which over time they had to gerrymander into something that was called goofy kicking Donald in order to pack enough Republicans into one county to make it reliably or into one congressional district to have it be a reliably Republican uh, district. But by the time they finished, it had to stretch over six counties, you know, most of the way to Lancaster, halfway to Reading. And it really wasn't, well, it wasn't compact and contiguous anymore, which is the standard that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court eventually applied. So as the voter registration changed, people felt closed out of the process. And when the congressional districts eventually changed, I think it it was part of an accelerating change. The year before I was elected in 2018, in 2017 was the first time since the Civil War that anyone who was not a Republican had been elected to countywide government in Delaware County. And the last party member that had been elected who hadn't been a Republican was a Whig, as in WHIG. So there'd never been a Democrat in county government. So, you know, once things started, you know, and once there was more accurate representation and there was no longer this this chokehold on the political process, things flipped pretty quickly. And it's I, I think it's been good for the community in some major ways. For years, the Republican leadership here had opposed having a Department of Health. So Pennsylvania or Delaware County was one of the largest counties in the country with no Department of Health. So no Department of Health to check on vaccinations and do restaurant inspections. And God forbid you have a pandemic to help coordinate what needed to happen. So 
the county council finally flipped in the 2019 election. So these folks got sworn in in January of 2020, immediately moved to start standing up a health department, which was their big campaign process. And of course, two and a half months later, we end up with a once in a century pandemic. The health department was not yet ready, not yet licensed and able to go on its own. So they had to contract with Chester County next door to get the services that that were needed by people to get tested, to get vaccinated, you know, to distribute PPE and that kind of thing. So it's it's been just a fascinating time of turnover, seeing new people get involved in in their communities and in politics and and taking off from there. I guess it was more than a decade ago now, but I remember someone telling me that this is a little crude. If they spit on the floor, it would be more contiguous than the old uh, congressional district that encompassed uh, uh, your home. <laughs> but okay, so in 2018, if memory serves me, it was a well-oiled, coordinated machine, and uh, some state house seats also flipped, and and then certainly your 2020 re-election. Uh, you know, there was a, the state senate seat that took on uh, significant prominence. So, if you can speak, um, you know, it's very interesting because this new congressional district you're running in is in Montgomery County, Delaware County, and, and Philadelphia mm-hmm. County. Yeah, if speak, speak to kind of the hand in glove coordinated operation as as there remains some very uh, state house and state senate races. Sure, I mean, I think it's. It's always been a challenge probably for these state coordinated campaigns to be effective. And I think it's an extra challenge in a region like ours. I try to explain it to my colleagues in Congress. And I say, you know, when we say that Pennsylvania is parochial, we mean that the question is, did you go to St. Kev's or Our Lady of Perpetual Health? I mean, it's really parochial. You see that in Philly, you see that in the suburbs. I mean, it's very neighborhood based and, you know, you cross a street and you're in a completely different world sometimes. So I think it's tough for the statewide coordinated campaign to be as effective as it might be. So when I started in 2018 running, my campaign manager had been, had run the successful campaign for the county team the year before, and he was a skeptic of the statewide system. He said, look, we're going to run it here and we're going to you know be helpful, but we're going to make sure that we're doing it based on what we know about this region from living here, being boots on the ground, whatever. And so we've tried to keep doing that, really to- tightly coordinating with, since I run at the state at the same time as the state house and senate reps, really tightly coordinating with the folks who are in my district so that we are supplementing each other's work. We're not duplicating work, certainly. We don't need everybody to canvas every time in every, you know, part of the district. But if we can work together, then we can be that much more effective. And I, I think that's been working pretty well for us. We've also seen the growth over time of the Democratic Party across this region. And in Delaware County, we really have to be grateful to our county, blanking on what her name is, the, the head of the Delaware County Democratic Party, Colleen Guiney, who is a grassroots organizer. And she has helped our local committees get up and running. I have a funny story from 2018 when I was running, I think it was late February, early March, and there'd been a blizzard. And so the city had closed down and the state police are telling everyone to get off the road. And I get home probably six, seven o'clock. I'm going, thank goodness I can, you know, put my feet up for a night, have dinner, just chill for a minute. And Colleen calls me and says, we have to go to see the Ridley Dems. I'm like, Colleen, the streets are shut down. She said, oh, no, 
Ridley Township won't let them meet in that building. They're meeting in Swarthmore Borough Hall, which is right near your house. So put on your boots. We're going to go meet with the Ridley Dams. So, you know, she was helping folks from other townships and boroughs organize and getting them the resources they needed and kicking candidates in the butt if they thought they were going to put their feet up for a minute. So she's been she's been really instrumental in moving things along in this region. My recollection, she comes from a nursing background and yes, uh, which is just uh, it's a different way of looking at things and solving problems. <laughs> no, she she's absolutely a dynamo. Uh, so, just curious. I mean, in, in the final few hours, you know, everyone's seeing these polls. They're seeing these, you know, talking heads on national television. I mean, what what seems to be top of mind of uh, current and future constituents uh, in these in these three counties? You know, we don't have a unified electorate anymore. We don't have everybody watching the same three broadcast stations. And so some of what you see out there is symptomatic. I like doing school visits because I come out of a background that prizes education and child advocacy and that kind of thing. So in the last couple of weeks, I've done a couple of visits to schools and I happen to have done a couple of visits to Catholic schools. And I just found it fascinating that I went to an all boys Catholic school recently and I asked them, you know, what's the number thing, number one thing on your mind that you think Congress should be doing? And 90% of them said, oh, it's the economy, it's inflation, it's gas prices. A couple kids said the environment, one or two said immigration. Went to the girls Catholic school and they all said reproductive health care uniformly. So it might be an argument for co-ed education or something in there, but I do think people are a little bit siloed. I'm very concerned about the negative campaigning and the fear factor that is such a drumbeat from the Republican side, you know, fact-free and fear-based, just really crazy things being said about candidates and, and very negative campaigning without offering ideas. It's like hardly a really bold position to say you're against inflation and against crime. I think the question is, what the hell are you going to do about it? I think we've got a track record of trying to reduce costs, address inflation. And besides that, to the extent that the Republican talking point is, oh, we have inflation because Democrats spent too much money. It's like, really? Is that what is causing the inflation in Japan and Europe and Britain and Africa and everywhere else in the world? Because that seems a little unlikely. And even more important, okay, you're complaining about what we spent during the COVID pandemic. What wouldn't you have spent? Would you not have, you know, tried to get vaccines and therapeutics? Would you not have fed people? Would you not have raised children out of poverty? Would you not have provided eviction and mortgage relief? Because, you know, it's that's just crazy. So and you have voted against our efforts to prevent price gouging, etc. So fine to take a position that inflation is bad and crime is bad, but we're not hearing any solutions from the other side. Well, speaking of the other side, my recollection is uh, the fall campaign kicked off with an interesting pairing in Delaware County. But Rick Santorum, who I don't believe has won a re- an election in Pennsylvania since 2000, joined mm-hmm. uh, Doug Mastriano mm-hmm. at a rally. And I can't imagine you were there or even within, uh, you know, miles of there. But, you know, kind of curious as you go around uh, the district, uh, you know, are you seeing signs of organizing on the other side? and? It's been really interesting. I mean, there appears to be a little, well, certainly as contrasted to 2020 when the disgraced former president was on the ballot. I mean, there was a lot more visible activity on the Republican side then, although we've seen this 
you know, growing split, at least in this region, kind of the Philadelphia suburbs area, between moderate Republicans, you know, folks who are policy-based, et cetera, and folks who are just Trump supporters versus Republicans, traditional Republicans. And we had started seeing that, but there were still people who are kind of holding their nose and voting, whatever. We're seeing a lot less unity in the Republican Party in the wake of that. It seems to be, you know, to the extent there's a Republican Party, the leadership in de- from the national level is Trump. At the state level, it's Mastriano. And we're not seeing a lot of activity from folks who were traditionally Republicans, you know, small government policy oriented you could talk to. Now it's just you're either with the Trump train or you're not. And so it's it's interesting how that's playing out here. The other thing that's really interesting is the impact of the nationalization of everything here, at least on the Republican side, because we do have these cartoon characters popping in and out. I mean, that Oz is a cartoon character on the Senate race, but we've got him, you know, popping over from New Jersey for crudités all the time. We've got, you mentioned Santorum. I mean, Trump's been to Pennsylvania multiple times. We had Nikki Haley here. We've had um, Senator Rick Scott come out. He of the let's slash uh, Social Security and and Medicare. We had the head of the Republican Party. And then DeSantis has made multiple trips to the states. So you're trying to run an election campaign and you have to deal with this constant distraction and noise from these folks who are really about something different, national power. It's probably a longer discussion, but I'd be curious if you went to a diner in Delaware County, if uh, some of these names you mentioned, if folks would even know who they are. Um, but they, they clearly think they're going to be uh, in the White House in a few years. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder about that, but it certainly, you know, diverts a lot of the energy in the political world. And, and you have people working on campaigns who are interested in politics. So it, it does make it messy and, and diverts certainly the media attention. But you look, we're in the final few hours. You've been uh, amazingly generous with your time. I'm kind of curious uh, as we talk about partisan politics and the other side, you know, some of the loudest voices are either on the Judiciary Committee or intend uh, to be very clear they want to be on the Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. So if you're fortunate enough to win re-election, which I certainly hope you will, you know, uh, I'm not sure if you're aiming to be back on the Judiciary Committee, but give folks kind of a preview of what 2023 might look like. Well, I mean, I think the New York Times over the last couple of weeks has really been forecasting it. They've run a series of articles about what Kevin McCarthy intends to do if he's Speaker of the House. And what Jim Jordan intends to do if he is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee and what Marjorie Taylor Greene intends to do if she's in leadership. And it's it's not pretty. You know, once again, I mean, McCarthy's agenda seems to be to undo everything that we've seen, you know, advance the country over the last couple of years. Jim Jordan has an investigations agenda, you know, a la Benghazi. He wants to investigate Hunter Biden's laptop. He wants to investigate Secretary Mayorkas. He wants to investigate the Attorney General, Merrick Garland. He just wants to investigate things that annoy him. No proposals for how we're going to move the country forward. No proposals on how we're going to reduce gun violence or address mass incarceration or, you know, many of the social ills that we're dealing with. He's been, you know, an impediment since he assumed the ranking member position on judiciary back in the middle of this last term, uh, Doug Collins who, you know, was no woke liberal, certainly, 
but he was more policy directed and you could work with him on some things like the First Step Act and criminal justice reform. And while he was there, um, judiciary started a bipartisan look at antitrust implications of our massive internet uh, mavens, Google and Facebook and, and their ilk and the impact they're having on our commercial and societal issues. So that was a bipartisan investigation that yielded six bipartisan bills and was expected to have a bipartisan report until Mr. Jordan became the ranking member and tried to blow it up. So there was a minority report. He pushed his members to pull out of the bills. Thank goodness they didn't. But, you know, he's explicitly said many times he just doesn't want any victories for Biden, which presumably they are victories for the country if they pass Congress and get signed by the president. So it's it's really disturbing what could be in store for us if, if the House flips. I certainly hope it doesn't and I'm doing everything I can to prevent that, but also mostly focused on what's going on here in Pennsylvania, because top of the ticket to bottom of the ticket. It has huge implications for the Commonwealth. All right, let's, let's take it back to two final questions, specifically about Pennsylvania. You've been backstage, you've seen up close the Shapiro family and the Fetterman family. Mm-hmm. Give, give listeners an anecdote or two. Oh, let me see. I mean, Shapiro, I've, I've known him for a couple decades. We both work for the same firm. I've been you know, really impressed to see him grow from strength to strength. I think he's been a fabulous attorney general, just dealing with so many important issues, whether it's child abuse, the opioid crisis, protecting our elections. So I don't know that I have a lot of anecdotes. He does sometimes say that I was his boss years ago, which isn't true, but he did do pro bono work when I was pro bono counsel for many years. So so he's great. The Fetterman uh, family, I've just recently gotten to know. Of course, they're from a different part of the state, et cetera. Giselle and I are big dog fans, so I may have started following Giselle and Levi, their their rescue first, but just, you know, very, very impressed by what they've done as a family in terms of really trying to work with their community and, you know, trying to be good public servants in a very engaging way. All right. We're going to end on a, what I think is a very important discussion. You mentioned the term uh, parochial before, and I'm not talking about parochial schools. I'm talking about the Philadelphia Phillies, and I think people's uh, support for the Phillies should not be parochial. So any predictions as we uh, look at, you know, hopefully, a repeat of 2008, which was a historic election and a historic year for Philadelphia Phillies fans. But uh, what say you? Well, we have to say Phil's all the way. The only thing I don't want to repeat is that that game they had in Philly against Tampa Bay when it was like 40 degrees and pouring. And I had the flu and I had a fever, but we had tickets to the game. So I had to go and I've never been so miserable or so glad to have a game called in the middle. So I wanted to be there for that victory. And then they had to, I think they had to go back to Tampa Bay for the actual win, but would love to see another parade. It would be really good if we had one because I didn't let my kids cut school for it because I was on the school board and they've never forgiven me. And now they're out of school. So if the Phil's win, my kids can come to town for the parade. And and it would be in your district. And it would be in my district. Yes, it would be great. All right. That is a good positive note on the final few hours of this, unfortunately, pretty negative uh, campaign season. But Congresswoman, thank you for uh, your time and for being in the trenches. Okay. Well, thanks for having me at the kitchen table. Good deal. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform. 
Please also consider following us on social media for updates and announcements regarding future episodes and new guests. You're political, so I am sure that you're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We are too at PA Political Podcast. Visit our website, papoliticalpodcast.org, and send us your feedback about this episode and suggestions on future guests. Until next week. Thank you.